Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but we've been doing uh, classic Christmas for a lot, a lot of years, well over a decade, and it feels like the music continues to get better and better and better. Amen? Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm so, I'm so thankful for it. Um, one of my favorite memories of classic Christmas, let me show you a picture. Uh, this is about two years ago. These are my children. This is Creed and Olivia. And they were, uh, this was a perfect parent moment. They were chosen. They didn't win the lottery. They were chosen, all right? And they were chosen to represent Mary and Joseph in our children's ministry during classic Christmas. Right now, uh, they, they have a barn set up and they've got animals and they're, they're walking the children through the Christmas story. Well, a couple years ago, my children were chosen for that. As a parent, this is an amazing moment because we've all had that moment where we looked at them and we thought, you're probably going to go to jail. That's probably going to happen. And so, so you know, th this, it was great, and it was wonderful. And, of course, we took all these pictures and everything. Afterwards, I asked our, uh, Kimberly Pence and I asked our children's pastor, I said, how did it go? And she said, well, and I, <laughs> that, that was, I said, well, she said, um, we, uh, they fought quite a bit. She said, the Christmas story loses a little something when Mary looks at Joseph and goes, shut up, stupid. And then Joseph hits Mary. Uh, and, and so it was like a whole thing. They, she had to separate them at one point. The children were confused. They didn't know that part of the story, evidently. Uh, and so I'm the parent who literally had their children fired from being Mary and Joseph. So they're, they're out. They're out for good. And so, so you got to live with what you got, right? Amen. So we're going to look tonight at Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And I want us to look tonight about how you find Christ during Christmas. How do you find Christ during Christmas? There's, there's so much going on. There's so much surrounding. There's, there's so much pressure. There's so much traveling. How do you find Christ during Christmas? Now, honestly, you can preach this sermon anytime because Jesus wants to be found. I mean, we can preach this sermon in April, how to find Christ in April, and it's the same principles. But I want you to not wait. I want you to not, well, we'll get through the holidays and the next year we'll kind of, you know, get our, our, our spiritual life active. I want you to find and connect with Jesus this day, this moment, and continue that relationship for the rest of your life. So to do that, we're going to compare and contrast two people that have the opportunity to connect with Jesus, to find Jesus. We're going to look at Herod the Great, and we're going to look at the, the wise men, and we're going to see why one of them... Uh, connected with Jesus. One of them found Jesus and one of them didn't. So Matthew chapter 2 beginning verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. 
And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, you go and search carefully for the child. But when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen as it was rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures, and they presented him with gifts— gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So let me show you, or let me explain to you who we're talking about. Let me show you a a portrait uh, drawn about Herod the Great and the wise men visiting. So Herod the Great was almost 60 years old at the time of this event. He had ruled in Judea for over three decades. The Romans were in charge, but they had put him as a king over this region. Herod ruled by intimidation, fear, and wars. He had started many wars so that he could keep his kingdom, and he had murdered people all along the way who he thought were a threat to his throne. Of the ten wives that Herod had over his lifetime, he killed two of them. He killed three of his sons, many of his family. He was a horrible, horrible man. He's almost 70 at this point. The wise men, we don't know exactly where they came from the east, but they traveled over a thousand miles. They were looking for the Messiah. They knew one thing about him, that a special star would rise that would be out of place, and that that would signify that the king of the world had come into existence, and they followed him in order to get that. So so these men have traveled already a long distance in order to get to Jerusalem. So that's the two people we have. Now here's the outline for today. How do you find Christ in Christmas? Three words. Number one, the word expectation. What you expect, you're going to find. Number two is the word tactics. How you go about is going to determine what you find. And number three, legacy. You will leave in the decisions you make a legacy for people to follow. So expectation, uh, tactics, and legacy. So let's look at expectation. What was their expectation? Well, the, the wise men from the very beginning were expecting to find God. The Bible says that at the moment, that it says in verse 2, that they saw the star rising as soon as it appeared. So they were looking. I mean, as soon as it, that, there it is. That's, they were astronomers. They knew what was supposed to come and when. They knew. They were expecting it from the moment. When you come into a relationship with God and you are expecting to find God, you will. Jesus promises. He promises us. He says, you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me, you will find me. If you are looking for God, if you're here like, I'm, I'm trying Christianity out. I'm figuring out. I promise you, you will find God. But Herod, on the other hand, was not. Herod was going about his life. In fact, he was amazed that the star had risen. Now, he calls in astronomers in a little bit, so he, he could have known that this occurrence was happening, but he chose not to. There are, there are over 600 prophecies about who Jesus will be so that we will not miss him, but five of them are major. Five of them are the ones that we kind of really rest on. Here are the prophecies. Number one was that these powerful men would come to worship him. So he's already had, he's like, something's happening because here are these magi who have come to worship him. 
they, ought, they go to Jerusalem and they're like, well, surely we'll find the, the king, the new king in the, in the king's palace. And Herod has no idea what's going on. And so men, from, uh, men come, powerful men come to worship him. And then also uh, a great star will rise. And so they had followed this star. And then number three, the baby would be born in Bethlehem. They're in Jerusalem. Bethlehem is a six-mile I was going to say ride, uh, yeah, walk. I don't know how they got there. So camel. Uh, and so, and then number three, uh, number four, he's a descendant of David. And number five, his child's mother would be a virgin. So here are all of these, here's all of these prophecies. Wise men show up. They follow a star. He's in Bethlehem. His parents are from the line of Jesus and his mother is a virgin. So Herod has this great moment, and some of us are in this great moment, because let's be honest, some of you just came because you're like, well, my family's coming, or my wife asked me, or, you, you, you know, I lost a bet, whatever it was that got you here, okay? But, but here's the deal. God is gracious to Herod. The wise men find him because they're looking. Herod finds him because he's the grace of God. God interjects in his life, and God says, six miles down the road is the king of the universe. I mean, he just invites him. And up until this point, this is the greatest moment in human history, only to be surpassed at the end of Christ's life for his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Herod is personally invited into the greatest story in the world. I mean, we separate B.C. and A.D. The world over is separating Christmas 2,000 years later, and Herod has a front row seat. The grace of God is inviting him in. He's doing the same with you. He's inviting you into the story. Even if you're not looking, even if you have, you're like, well, it'll only take an hour. We'll get our Christmas pictures done and we'll wear out. He's inviting you into the story and saying, no, 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 something amazing is happening. The God of the universe is in the world and he wants to have a relationship with you, his grace. But here's the deal. You're going to find what you look for. 1905, Professor William James of Harvard said, the fact is that you do not believe what you see, but rather you see what you already believe. Belief creates the fact. The wise men looked for God and found him. Herod was not looking for God, and even though God interjected in his life, tried to get him, all Herod wanted to see was his kingdom enduring. That's all he cared about. And now there was a new baby here who was going to threaten his throne. So guess what he found? He found exactly what he was looking for. One of my favorite stories that I, that I came across in, in recent days uh, illustrates this point. So let me show you a picture. This is 1849 in California. Uh, you, if you ever watch professional football, San Francisco 49ers are called that because of the California gold rush. It's important. You need to know it. So, so that's why they're called that. So this is 1849, gold rush. 1859, the Comstock load is found, and there's a silver rush in California. But I didn't know until I read this, in 1872, there's a diamond rush in California. I've never heard of diamonds in California. Here's what happened. 1872... Two prospectors walk into a San Francisco bank dirty, and they have a canvas bag, and they say, we'd like to put this in the vault. Well, the teller says, you can't just stick something in the vault. We need to know what's in there. We need to know, and they, they talk about it for a while, and finally they convince them, and these men dump out a bag, a huge bag of jewels, uncut diamonds, rubies, sapphires, and emeralds, a pile of them. Well, the teller was like, I need to get the president. The president looks at all these jewels and asks a very important question. Where'd you get those? That's important. I mean, you want to know the answer to that. And so, so they don't want to tell him. They don't, and, 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 uh, and, and finally he's like, you know what? Like, 
I, I can get people to back you. If, if you found all of these, these unbelievable gems, I can get people to back you, but I need to make sure it's real. And they say, well, they say, we found a place that is so abundant with these jewels. Like literally as you're walking around the ground, you kick the ground and, a, and an uncut one of these rubies or uh, diamonds falls out. He's like, I want to see it. So they, they get two diamond experts. They blindfold them. They put them on a train for two days. They put them on a mule for two more days. Then they un unmask them, and they look around, and there are diamonds and rubies and sapphires and emeralds everywhere. They're in the ground. I mean, they're, they're literally, like they say, they'll kick the ground, and one of them rolls out. They look at them, and they say, this is the most unbelievable thing we've ever seen. They bring back a bigger bag worth today what would be about $6 million dollars. And so the, the banker goes to work. He gets 25 of the richest men in San Francisco to donate or to invest $80,000 each. They, and then uh, 25 other firms come in all looking for diamonds in California and, and in the, the Great West. And so they're all looking for this one spot, but it's, it's secret except for one man. This is a picture of Clarence King. He's the one in the middle uh, with the good-looking beard. I threw that in just now. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, and so, so Clarence King is the first president of the United States Geological uh, Society. In fact, he was very famous in his day, did a geological survey across of America. He was very well known. He walked into the banker's office and he said, stop, you're being swindled. This is not true. He said, nowhere in the world do you find diamonds, sapphires, rubies, and emeralds in the same place. They form separately in different locations because of different uh, climates and textures and rocks. He said, you're being swindled. Well, well the, the president of the bank had won nothing to do with it. You get what you find. And he thought he had found riches beyond his wildest dreams. So he thought, well, I better check them out and make sure they're legit. So he sent some of the diamonds to Charles Tiffany of Tiffany's of New York. He sent them to New York City, and he had the diamonds tested. And Charles Tiffany sent back and said, they're an amazing quality. Just these few diamonds are worth $150,000, 1872 money. He said, you, 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 will be, you will get so much more than your investment back. So the prospectors at this time, they're like, well, we really just want out. If you'll just pay us each $300,000, then we'll just let you have the 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 load you know and and so he pays them and then he sends some people well all this time Clarence King he figures out where they are he said he asked the man who was uh put had a hood over him he says where did you find the diamonds he's like I don't know but he described this mountain and he said okay tell me this how long were you on the train he said two days and, and exactly you know as, as far as he could reckon and they said when you were traveling what was the weather like and it was very rainy and there was only one part of the of the uh, west that had rain in that time and then he said what direction did you feel like you were traveling in they said we felt like we were going south well Clarence King tracked it down and found them and sure enough there were there were emeralds and and gems everywhere they were all over the place except he noticed something very interesting where you said you could kick them and they would just kind of roll out was actually ant beds and what had happened, he saw holes where someone had gotten these gems and stuffed them down into, with a stick down in these holes because they knew that over time, you've seen ant beds come up when it rains as it does, and those, those ants would push those gems to the surface because they're like, we don't want no stinking diamonds in here. Then what do they have a use? And so they would push them to the surface, and it would seem natural because of that. These men had gone to London. They had bought a bunch of uncut rejects. They for twenty five thousand dollars they had what they had salted they had put them all over they had convinced everyone that they were real and that they were 
and they had each made $300,000. Well, what about Charles Tiffany? He was the one who legitimized them and said them. He forgot to tell the banker he had never seen an uncut diamond. He had only seen diamonds that were already cut, and he thought he knew what he was doing, and he was wrong. And the, the banker had to pay back all of the money. They tracked down one of the men. The other one got away with it. He was never found in his life. Here's the point. You get what you're looking for. You'll find what you're seeking, even if someone can convince you that it's real when it's not. I'm amazed in our day of how many people think they have found freedom in sin. I am amazed at how many people, I mean, make fun of Christianity like we're the ones who bound ourselves and God is like, all right, now that you're a Christian, here are the rules. We no longer have fun, mister. That's what we think. And, and really and truly, it's the opposite. I feel like the world so many times in the way that they act, they're like people in prison making fun of us for being free. Ha ha, all of us are in prison. That's true. I guess I'm going to go out and eat. You, you know, good luck. I mean, I, I'm, I'm free. Guys, you're going to find what you are looking for. Herod never truly found Christ because he didn't want to. All he wanted was to find was the status quo. And if you're here today and you're saying, I want to find Jesus, but I'm not giving up this. I'm not stopping this. This is the way I am. This is the way I've been taught. And you're not willing to, but you're not willing to conform yourself to the image of Christ. Then you are wasting your time. If you are here today and you say, I see my life for what it is. I see how I've led myself, and I want something more or different. Christ is there, and he's beckoning you. Come on in. I have freedom for you. Expectations. Number two is tactics. How did they go about actually finding the Christ? Well, first of all, the wise men came themselves. They had already traveled over a thousand miles during this story. Then they have six more miles to go to Bethlehem. They came themselves the whole way. And you can imagine over a thousand miles, they had to have had some perilous moments. They had to have had robbers, they had to have had weather, they had to have problems. Uh, but Herod is six miles away, but he sends them. He says, no, no, you guys go, and then I'll come and check it out. Listen, you can't outsource this in your life. You can't outsource Christianity. And you can't come a little bit and just kind of get a, a little bit indoctrinated. You can't do that. You can't even just listen to me week after week. The people who are truly going to find Christ are the people who search after him themselves. The people who are say, no, not you go or, you know, oh, no, you, you figured it out. No, it's fine. You no, no, no. They're the people who go themselves. But then also... Um, what's interesting about the wise men is that they come publicly. They announce. Herod, the Bible says in verse uh, 7, he summoned them secretly. Herod wanted to kind of keep it on the down low. He's like, you know what? I don't, I don't want a lot of people to know. You're never going to find Christ if you're not willing to say, you know what? I am a believer. I'm going to church. I'm seeking after him. For many of you, if you're new to Christianity, that means you're going to have to have some conversations with some friends and family members and say, you know what? I don't know everything. And so I don't have all the answers, and I'm certainly not perfect. That's why I'm there, but I am going all the way with Jesus. When you do and you don't give up in that moment, those are the people who find him. Another story. Let me show you a picture of Yellowstone. Now, I had to show the picture really quick because I knew if I said Yellowstone, some of you would immediately thought I was going to show Rip. And so, that, so that's <laughs> so different Yellowstone, okay? So, uh, 
this is a picture by Thomas Moran. This is in uh, the Smithsonian Institute. is a huge, huge picture, and it is beautiful. This picture is single-handedly, when uh, Ulysses S. Grant saw this picture, he had never been to Yellowstone, but he immediately declared, because of this picture, Yellowstone is a national park. It was so, uh, such an impressive picture. There's a lot of pictures by Thomas Moran, because he was on a geological expedition and explored a lot of the West, including Yellowstone. Also, a few years before him was a group of people that he uh, painted as well. This is just his most famous painting of the first people, uh, the first non-indigenous people to go all the way down the Colorado River. Let me tell you that story. So, in 1869, uh, a group of men led by Wesley Powell, he had lost his arm in the Civil War. He, he literally had one arm, but he got a group of men together, four boats and four canoes, and they wanted to uh, transverse the entire Colorado River. Now, they didn't know where it ended up and what was in the middle. They didn't know about the Grand Canyon at this point. And so as they came to the Grand Canyon, you can imagine being the first people that they knew of to see it. Of course, the, uh, the, the natives had seen it, but they, they had no idea it was there. And they, call, they began to call it a watery prison because day after day, month after month, or week after week, then month after month, they traversed the Colorado River. It was extremely cold. It was, they were wet the whole time. The the first week, some of their food uh, was uh, shaken out of the raft, and so they were starving. Some of the food started to rot. The flour, they had to sift for weevils before they were able to eat it. They were cold, wet. They had no idea, and it was going day after day, month after month. There were times where they had to go down the river because uh, the uh, canyon was so narrow, there was no beach to stop on and rest. So they just had to keep on going. They didn't know the next waterfall. They didn't know what to look for. There's times in the canyon you're three quarters of a mile, almost a mile in where these canyons come up. The sun was, uh, they couldn't even hardly see the sun. They hated it. It was such a miserable trip along the way. And so on day 96, they were able to stop and get some rest on a beach. And three of the men said, we're out. We're out. They said, we have heard that there's a Mormon settlement in Utah to the north. We are going there. So the men who decided to stay, they knew that they would become famous and have riches if they stayed till the end. If they were able, because they would write books about it. And people, I mean, the explorers of this, they were extremely, extremely well known. But these three men said, we're out. And so the other men, they wrote letters to their family. Some of them wrote wills out. One of them gave a pocket watch and said, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it, so give this to my brother. And they sent them on their way up north. Those, those three men that went up north never made it. No one, history doesn't know what happened to them. They, were, they, they probably had Indians uh, who killed them, but they were completely lost to history. The men who stayed behind, this was on day 96, finished their journey on day 98, two days later. <laughs> They made the whole trip, and they did. They wrote books. They became famous. Uh, they got money. They, were, they made the whole way. Here's the deal, guys. If you're going to go just a little bit, if you're, if you're not going to be willing to go all the way with Christ, some of you, you're like, you know what? I love coming to Christmas. I, I love coming to Christmas. Come back. Come back. You know, in fact, I had someone last night say, I love it here. I love the way I feel when I come here on Christmas. And I said, it's like that every week. <laughs> it's not because of great music. It's not because of great sermons. It's not because of great children's ministry. We do really try for all those things. It's because God is here. He wants to speak to you. 
If you'll make a decision, I'm going to be a part of what God is doing this season. I'm going to really and truly see that unfold. Then you are going to see some amazing things happen. Here's what I wrote. You cannot fail if you start Christianity and do not quit. You cannot fail if you'll start Christianity and not quit. You will find God and he will show up more and more. Let's talk about legacy. Last word is legacy. The wise men are interesting in how much God spoke to them. Think about the wise men. So here they are. So their legacy is they, they heard of a prophecy of a star. So God spoke to them through a prophecy before they ever saw it fulfilled. So then they saw the star, and they followed the star. By the way, it's interesting. Some people from time to time will say it's a comet. Read the text. The Bible says that the star led them and stopped over the house. This is a supernatural event. This is not a star in the sky. This is not a comet. This is God leading them every step of the way. It stopped over the house. That's how they knew, or over the barn, that's how they knew where it was. So God spoke to them in a star. God spoke to them in a, and led them with a star and a prophecy. And then they're at Herod's, and they say, we don't know where to go. And they say, well, you're going to Bethlehem. And so the star leads them again. So they hear from a prophecy. They hear from the, the word of God. They, hear, they are led by a star. And then at the end, the Bible says, God spoke to them in a dream. God spoke to them. Now, do you think you got you to kind of extrapolate out from this, but do you think that the God of the universe who chose to speak to these men and said, I'm going to show you a star, I'm going to give you a prophecy, I'm going to speak to you through the Bible, I'm going to lead you along the way, I'm going to talk to you in a dream, do you think the rest of their story was, and they never heard from God again? I mean, you know, how sad would that be, you know? Now, I'm sure this was one of the, I mean, like, this was the big moment in their life. There, there's no doubt about it. But God continued to work in their life. And I believe that with all my heart because I've had some of those experiences. I've had God speak to me in a dream. I've had some, uh, God show me things in, in, in Scripture and lead me in that way. And he continues to do that. They began a legacy of following God. And it changed their trajectory. It changed their, their faith. It changed who they were. But Herod never got any of that. He had the prophecy, he had the star, he had the wise men show up, he knew where to go six miles down the road. These men had already traveled over a thousand miles, and yet he chose not to follow. What's Herod's legacy? One month after this event, Herod died. Herod was interesting in his, in his problems. Herod, Herod had gout, Herod had worms, Herod had uh, multiple diseases. He was in incredibly bad health at this point. He died one month later. Uh, my guess is all of his family was excited. Caesar said about Herod, it's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's wife because he didn't kill his pig. And so, I mean, it was a, and so here's what Caesar did, or here's what Herod did. Herod knew that no one would mourn at his funeral. So when Herod was about to die, he got most of the Jewish leaders rounded up and had them murdered so that even though they wouldn't uh, mourn at, or for him at his funeral, there would be mourning at his funeral because they could hear the wails of the people. Herod also had the, the people, the, the children in Bethlehem killed. You know, like, the trajectory of his life stayed the same, and everyone who followed him was the same. Here's the deal. If you will cho choose to follow Jesus, those who look at you will follow you to Jesus. It's true. Don't look or don't listen or don't think today, you know what, I just wish my husband, I just wish my wife, kids don't look, well, I wish my parents would really start following Jesus. You do it. You follow Jesus. You're only in charge of you. And when you see others do it, when others, or excuse me, when others see you do it, it's amazing how they're like, I, I can do that. 
Think about the, the story of the Grand Canyon. It was, it was, a, it was national news. Uh, books were written about it, especially how hard it was. But guess what? People started rafting the Grand Canyon just to say that they did it because it was hard. My favorite one of that, his name is Clyde Eddy, and he's from Texas. Yeah. All right. So he went down the Grand Canyon, the whole length of the Colorado like them, by himself as far as the only person was, except for he stopped in Salt Lake City, Utah. He got a rescue puppy or a rescue dog from the pound, and he went to the New York Zoo and borrowed a black bear and said, I want to take a black bear on a rafting trip. And they went, okay. And he took the bear on the trip with him the whole way. It is true. Can you, I just can't imagine like, you know, standing on the side of the river and going, was that a bear in a canoe? <laughs> It really happened. He took him the whole way down. You know why? Because somebody else had done it before and made it. I mean, if you do it, people, I can do that. If you'll start following Jesus, people will start following you to Jesus. It's the way it works. It's the way it works. And your legacy changes. The generations after you change, the people around you change. They had a tremendous thing. Two thousand years later, we're looking at these men and going, these men are wise. Let's fall. Let's, let's learn from them. Don't you want that to be your story? Don't you want that to be your legacy? Your life is going to come and go. Live it for the glory of God. And when you follow Jesus, they'll follow you to Jesus. Let me end this, this uh, with Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Jesus uh, and Joshua are the same name, uh, different languages. So if your name is, is uh, either Jesus or Joshua, your name means God saves. That's what the name means. And so because he will save his people from their sins. As important as Christmas is, it's the opening act of a long play. And it ends with Jesus, the Savior of the world, who has lived this perfect life, who was epitomized as this baby in purity and wonder on Christmas, but lived his whole life that way, never sinned, never fell short of the glory of God, lived his life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and came alive. Why? So that he could save you, and he could save me from our sins. This morning, you can find Christ in Christmas. Let him save you. I'm going to invite you to pray right, right where you are. I don't know what your agenda was when you came, but our vision for Classic Christmas is our gift to you. Our gift to you. The gift isn't the service, the gift isn't the pictures, the gift isn't the, the hot cocoa, the gift isn't the, 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 all of the, the extra things that we do. The gift is Jesus. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to be set free. We want you to live in freedom. Don't look or think about the people around you who aren't, who are making fun of you while they sit in prison. Don't do that. Jesus came to set us free from our sins. And today, right where you are, this morning, right where you are, you can find Christ in Christmas. If you'll look for Him, say, God, I want to find you. If you'll listen, this is the story of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, 
who died a sacrificial death, who was crucified on a cross, buried three days in a tomb, and resurrected from the dead on Easter Sunday. Christmas is the opening, but Easter is the ending. Jesus is alive. Today, if you'll ask Christ to be the Lord of your life, forgive your sins. His name is Jesus. It means God saves his people. God saves us from our sins. Let him adopt you as a son or daughter into his kingdom. Just pray right now, dear Jesus, come into my life. I want to know you. I want to find the God of the universe. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you were raised. God, be my Lord. Take control. You can find Christ. For those of us who are believers today, it's one of those moments where we can rededicate and say, you know, I want to, I want to continue. I, I don't want to look back and go, oh yeah, I got saved when I was 12 or when I was 20. You know, it's like the crescendo of my life. God, I know that you have more plans for me ahead. God, help me to follow you. Help this moment and this service to be the beginning of a wonderful Christmas season where I serve you. And 2023, where I grow exponentially in your grace and mercy, Jesus. I love you and I praise you. Thank you, God, for all that you've done to bring us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.